Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast. This time, as everybody who lives in, I don't know, the world will know, the past couple of years have been a little bit unsteady and unstable. And so the world seems to have been in constant crisis now for the past few years. I don't need to tell you that. With the pandemic, war, supply chain issues, inflation, and now recession. But I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by four absolute experts who are going to take us through reasons to be optimistic, hopefully, and why we feel like brands are in a better position than ever to actually deal with this. So to begin with, I wondered, could I ask my guests to introduce themselves, please? Claire, could you? Could we start with you? Who are you and what does your company do, please? Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Claire Strickett. I'm a brand strategy director at um, a business called Jellyfish, and we are a fully integrated um, digital first marketing partner to brands. Fantastic. And Paul? Uh, hi, I'm Paul Dunleavy, uh, and I'm creative director at an agency called APS. So part of a, a bigger kind of network and a, a print business, um, but we are kind of a marketing advertising agency um, that does kind of all sorts, really, um, in that kind of world of content and creative. Nice. Fantastic. And Samantha? Hello. Yes, I'm Samantha Hearn. I'm head of creative at Digital Ethos. Uh, we're a digital marketing agency with a specialism in performance marketing and creative. Fantastic. And last but not least, Matt. Hello, Matt Garwitz. I'm creative director at Brave Bison, and we operate in the worlds of uh, performance, um, organic um, SEO um, and that kind of realm, as well as social and influencer. And we have a media network as well uh, that owns and operates various channels out there in the social realm, particularly on YouTube and Snapchat. Very nice. Well, I'm delighted that you're all here because that's a huge range of expertise, which we can draw upon uh, to ask the question, how are brands going to prepare themselves? How are brands and agencies rather going to prepare themselves for the upcoming couple of years? So Samantha, I wondered, could we start with you? All the chickens seem to have come home to roost in 2023. Uh, sorry to throw a very heavy question at you to begin with, but this will obviously be the year in which we do have to face a couple of endemic challenges. Um, how have you seen that brands are I suppose, adjusting their plans to prepare for that? Yeah, so I think there's there's four kind of key areas in particular with the clients that we look at um, that we've kind of started to see at least immediate kind of shifts to react to obviously some of the, the variables that are changing kind of right, uh, right away versus kind of long term. And I think the first one of that is very much around the actual messaging and the, the creative that does go out within advertising. And we found within that there's kind of two nuances. So the first is very much around actually businesses or brands leaning into the cost of living crisis and the comms around that. Mm. Um, and I'm sure we'll probably touch on that in a little bit more detail. But the, the heavy thing to really caveat around that particular strategy is that as a business, you've got to be authentic and it makes sense to the brand. And then the second kind of pivot to that is more around the non-essential market. Um, really more focusing on, because obviously they can't go, it doesn't make sense for them to go down that very specific on the nose messaging and more focusing on what really matters, the friends and the family, the community, specifically kind of post COVID, that community feeling. Um, we've kind of seen people starting to really adjust um, 
those types of messaging. And I think there's been some good examples out of much more kind of notorious brands that we've seen kind of prior to Christmas. So a really good example is obviously O2 mm. um, with their campaign around data poverty and the bolt-ons with data sharing. I think that's a really good example of that first approach that I talked about, as well as I think there was the Channel 4 ad break in October, which had a numerous couple of brands with it, Boots, Co-op, GifGaf, et cetera, which really specifically looked at how these brands and businesses can help alleviate costs, uh, the kind of cost crisis. So that's kind of one particular area that we're really seeing kind of shift. Um, the second is much more around, I would say, what's what the cost of living crisis has done to consumer behavior mm. again in the short term and again, looking at long term. So we immediately are starting to see particularly around the 18 to 34 demographic, which are much more aware of this than maybe uh, other demographics is that they are staying at home. And therefore some of our kind of um, anticipations of coming out of post COVID where we thought we were going to be a lot more out there, actually it's starting to go kind of the other way. And there's a really good report that came out, which was the four fundamental uh, shifts in advertising and media, which really showcases actually a lot more people are staying at home now and they recommend that that's going to be a trend that continues. So your social, your connected TV, et cetera, is going to become a lot more pivotal uh, in terms of the medium that you're actually going to be talking to. Thank you so much for flagging up a couple of things there, one of which is the changing consumer behavior, which I know we'll talk about more now, and also that authenticity, which we're going to be talking about in greater depth later on down the podcast. So, Paul, from what you've seen, how are brands adjusting? Do you feel like they're necessarily having to adjust a lot, or is it more of a sort of, I suppose, gradual process of changing their priorities? Yeah, I think it's a fairly gradual uh, process. Um, No one has the instant answers, so we're seeing... Gradual but significant change, I think it's fair to say. I mean, you know, a lot will inevitably perhaps um, lead on value and price in the short term for obvious reasons, the kind of promotional side of it, um, just that fierce competitiveness probably going to become even more fierce uh, in the likes of grocery. But I think generally there's kind of an increased responsibility, a bit more self-awareness, if you like, kind of considering the context and this uh, new world really about how you come across in all kind of comms, whether, you know, whatever kind of brand you are, um, it's, it's, a, it's a new way of thinking about things really. So I don't know, even if you're not a brand that's kind of directly talking about price or contributing to fixing some of these problems, you might say you still um, got to be able to strike that right tone and you've got to come across in the right way, not indulgent or flippant or God knows, uh, disrespectful to kind of people's mm. different situations. So I think that's, you know, you're starting to see a bit more of a community approach in some, some advertising bits like that. Hopefully that'll kind of build and have some positive kind of side effects. Yeah. Um, we're also seeing, as you might expect, budgets being cut, or at least, you know, we're having to fight much harder for them, um, which is no bad thing, uh, really, I guess. Um, so I think there's a bigger job in selling in a campaign and it's, or whatever it might be, and it's worthiness to begin with and obviously justifying that spend. Absolutely. And I would love to get back to that creativity point um, in a couple of questions. But Claire, you were nodding along quite vigorously there when Paul was there talking about responsibility. Have you seen a shift in brand comms already to kind of focus on that aspect of things? 
Well, I think really interestingly, we did a very quick and slightly unscientific survey on Slack just internally to prepare for this. And we've seen a real mixture, some clients cutting budgets, some clients actually increasing them. Obviously, budgets may have been set slightly historically. So I think that is why this process is gradual. As Paul says, no one wants to just assume the worst and and slash everything they can avoid it. And also, um, no one way or the other in terms of sort of longer term revenue brand building or shorter term, like there's a people are changing those proportions in kind of equal measure either way. So it's hard to see what you'd think would be the obvious story coming out. But I I do think, wishfully hope always that that these sort of more straightened times will increase um, focus on effectiveness, accountability. We're seeing a big move at Jellyfish in, in line with sort of the research coming out of Meta and Google around um, really showing incrementality. Nobody can possibly justify paying for a sale and claiming a sale that would have happened anyway. So um, hopefully this can precipitate an even greater move towards kind of true effectiveness and accountability in marketing. Yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, this is why we need to be doing video podcasts because the the listeners would get the benefit of seeing everybody nod <laughs> along with us when we were talking there. But um, so Matt, you were nodding particularly along with Claire when she was talking about that change to a sort of long term brand building approach. Is that something that we are already seeing occur, or what? What's your take on how brands are sort of changing the timescale that they think in? I haven't seen any hard evidence of it, but there's uh, of course the inescapable data from years and years worth of, of of marketing and advertising studies during recessions or or following recessions that um focusing in too hard on performance and um uh, direct acquisition is kind of a race to the bottom and it's it's going to cannibalize sales that aren't even there to begin with because of course demand isn't there and, and the audience isn't there because um you're you're talking to people, your audience who haven't got as much money, and therefore are less interested in buying your product right now, and and therefore you know, you're trying to get them to buy something that they're not interested in right now. In in terms of your audience, it's not the way to go. So, I don't know if if uh, I don't have enough data or or, or anything to to say at this point in the recession whether there is more brand going on than performance out there mm. in the world but it is absolutely the case and it's it's kind of inescapable that now is the time to do brand and to focus on retention and building trust and building um loyalty in your brand so that when the good times roll back you've got a solid base from which to build out from okay so that i mean that's fascinating and just before we move on to talking about sector specific examples there i wondered we've spoken about so many ways that we've seen brands change whether that be kind of on the longitudinal sense whether that be in the very very short term before we move on to the sector specific stuff and i'm going to open this up to the entire panel how how uh, i suppose widespread do you think the recognition is that brands do need to be changing how they think about this coming into the recession it's obviously not our first rodeo uh i wish that it were but unfortunately we have been through some of these traits before so to what extent do you think the brands are more prepared than they would otherwise have been to deal with this kind of stuff and that's to whoever wants to take it okay I mean, i've got a couple of semi-formed thoughts on that <laughs> forgive me <laughs> forgive me if, the, if this is a bit of stream of consciousness i guess what we've got is we've got recessions of from from recent times to to use here as as foundation for some thinking going forward and i suppose the the biggest one 
uh, in recent times that we've all been through was the the you know the financial crash the the 2008 2009 um episode when there, there was a big amount of so-called digital transformation going on at that time and more of a focus on e-commerce and more of a focus on digital marketing and and all of those sorts of things and brands uh racing for um cheaper means of lines of comms with their customers um so and and since then of course socials evolved so much as well so uh I, i i guess there are routes to our customers and our audience that are much more evolved from those times that we can use more effectively going forward to do that thing of being more authentic, I suppose you might say, and more empathetic and, and to deliver those, those important messages of, of trust and value. I think it was fascinating as well that you brought up empathy so, so soon into the podcast as well. I expected that to come further down as we spoke about authenticity. Claire, could you tell us where have you particularly seen sector-specific examples of brands changing? I was looking the other day at some um, research that the econometrician Grace Kite published, which I think she drew from some research from a consultancy. And I think talking about sector-specific is it's so important, which I'm assuming is why you decided to talk about it, because ultimately <laughs> there are just structural differences, um, but they're not always quite the ones you'd expect. So I think um, categories that represent significant, it, not that regular and probably postponable purchases. So things like home furnishings, you know, you've had that sofa for six years, you could probably live with it for another two. Like Those sorts of sectors will see uh, you know, probably just have to think we have to hold the fort and, yeah. you know, keep that brand building light on, but we we probably just have to try and, you know, keep the lights on. Um, but conversely, things like DIY, where people get a sense of saving money because they're doing it themselves, always do really well in these in these times. And, you know, it's not only do you have to <laughs> do you save money from getting someone to do it for you, but it keeps you occupied all weekend. So it's a <laughs> win-win. And then the things that really intrigued me, because I always love it when my assumptions are, are are proven completely false <laughs> were actually and um things like international and this is stated intention of consumer spending right so how it butts up against tough realities but people still intending to spend in eating out in domestic and international travel and then groceries obviously because everybody still has to eat and it but yeah i just thought that research was really interesting because it was slightly counterintuitive um, which is always the most interesting stuff for me to see. Certainly, yeah. And it, it did feel a little bit like you were directly admonishing me for my eight-year-old sofa through there and also for these shelves, which have not been put up here yet, but which I'm planning to do this weekend. I must so have sent them out of the corner of the frame. I think the other area that just to quickly add is really interesting, um, going to be really interesting, is um, sort of tech, you know, phones and things like that people are buying less and less frequently now but i think there's a real opportunity for brands to move into the kind of refurb and secondhand space and play that environmental card as well as the budget card i think that's going to be an opportunity for brands to think about what messages and products they want to put forward and keeping customers that they might have lost to a secondhand dealer o2 have been very good at that kind of thing in the past for example i think one thing where actually we've we've kind of seen particularly come through quite quickly is around international charities. Um, and this is very much with the feeling that we're, we're seeing from feedback around potential consumers uh, with some of the clients that we work with is 
it's very much this crisis is happening at home. So it's that outward looking approach. So we have seen that immediate effect actually kicking quite quickly, particularly around um, some of the, the Christmas campaigns. Um, so I think that's a really interesting one. Um, I think what's always really interesting when um, recessions do come uh, come through is the middle market. So particularly, again, those non-essentials. So again, things like fragrances. Um, alcohol is a really interesting one as well because it's kind of compounded by this also shift in changing attitude towards alcohol, again, by that younger demographic. Um, you know, they they're drinking less. And in fact, if you look at, for example, Pinterest, uh, top trends for this year, um, it's very much around those nice fancy mocktails. That's kind of where they're going. So again, we're seeing with clients that are within that space, there's an immediate kind of effect there. Um, and also in that similar line, housing. And again, I think that's really compounded by this happening with, for example, help to buy the older scheme, coming out of place in October um, that has, uh, yeah, caused some um, creative and uh, challenges for when it comes to housing developers of how they navigate that, plus the wonderful government changing their mind on various things. Um, that That's, uh, I would say, the ones where kind of immediately we're really starting to see impact. Very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> And Paul, where where else do you think that we've seen some of those changes, whether that be travel, whether that be tech? Where have you seen some examples of that? Yeah, certainly we have some clients in and around the kind of travel industry. um, And I think that's got not only the obvious um, challenges around value and um, I suppose people getting used to driving ever thanks to the pandemic. Um, but it's also got strikes uh, every week. So, you know, they've got a huge amount of challenges, which is changing the nature of some of our briefs or at least the timings of some of the responses. I think in a in a broader sense, um, you know, anything that's considered essential is going to become more and more competitive. I think I touched on that before, but you know, the, the your classic supermarkets, as it were, were already slightly up against it with Lidl and Aldi and the like. So they all, they had a bit of a warning of what's to come, but presumably that will only kind of escalate in terms of uh, competing against those. Um, and I don't know if if anyone will really kind of entirely escape. Um, these kind of effects that we're talking about, you know, I think anything that might be, you know, reliant on disposable income, for example, will have uh, a challenge on their hands um, to to kind of uh, when people consider their priorities much stronger than they ever have before to kind of keep that um, front of mind and to stay at the top of that priorities list, I think is going to become more challenging. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a very similar thought to Claire that, that I don't think people, given what they've been through in the last few years, will want to give up mm. some of the slightly more indulgent pieces that they spend their money on. So I think it'd be kind of fascinating to see where the exceptions lie um, when they should be, you know, the first things to go, you might say. I, I hear you. You're giving me personally permission to spend whatever I want on extravagances. Thank you very much, Paul. I appreciate always, it. Yeah. <laughs> and we've all spoken about authenticity slightly in some of our previous answers. And I wondered to what extent can authenticity, can empathy in our comms help ameliorate some of the worst of this crisis? And is it in fact, in a lot of ways, an opportunity for brands to speak to consumers about something that genuinely matters to them, actually really relate to them in a way that engenders some empathy? Um, yes, I think so. One immediate example of that, and this is a, this is a short example, is, is, is energy. And some energy firms have done better than others to allay 
a lot of fears, particularly the other side of Christmas, um, around people's hardship, you know, re- real hardship uh, to to that end. Um, so that's I think that's one one industry that's been pulled into sharp focus. Yeah, where where some suppliers have done better than other others. There is a lot of negativity, uh, I would say, from consumers about why this recession is happening. There, you know, there's a, a lot of anger towards the government, big businesses, etc. And fundamentally, you know, we are going to have less money in our pocket. That's that's not going to change. But I think it's important that we also have a really longer term view with this. That dips happen, we come out the other side. So it's it's important to also have that long-term focus. Let's be open and honest and cultivate that loyalty. I mean, it's, it's such a commonly used word. I think it has at least two meanings in this question, which is authentic to where consumers are at, which, you know, obviously marketing should really always try to be, and authentic to the brand. And I think we had a real watch out lesson from the pandemic when Every so many brands suddenly switched to this identical tone of voice of, you know, we're there for you through hard times. And not only was it kind of hilarious to watch, but also it was terrible for things like brand attribution. And I saw that in the you know, the clients that I had access to the metrics for. And I'm sure it was the same for all the other brands because everyone suddenly like changed their tone of voice, changed their creative, changed their message. So it wasn't authentic to the brand. So it wasn't recognized as the brand by consumers. And it felt just like sort of meaningless platitudes. Um, so I think that's a real watch out. Sort of don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and switch to sort of something. Authentic doesn't always have to mean kind of like heartfelt and and sort of pseudo-philosophical, any of that sort of thing, which I do think a lot of people were guilty of um, when COVID first hit for, for very well-meaning reasons. Um, and so, yeah, staying true to your brand and staying true to your consumer in that authenticity and finding that sweet spot between them. And also recognising that like people don't always want to talk about the thing that's the bad thing that's happening. They don't always yeah. want brands to think about that. Um, you know, the rise of comedy in the great Hollywood comedy in the Great Depression is a sort of classic example of that. And I think finding just funny little things to take people's minds off stuff, which I think the recent McDonald's ad does really well. Like it's very relevant because it's very funny. And the insight is, you know, not some lofty philosophical thing. It's just, you know, have a bring some fun into your day by going out and getting McDonald's for lunch. Yeah, his little treat. Wiggly eyebrows and, yeah. and people love that stuff. So I think kind of, yeah, it's really important not to lose track of uh, where your brand is. And then to Sam's point, lose track of that bigger picture. How do you how do you actually go about doing that in a way that is relevant to the consumers during a time of economic hardship, but also feels like it is, to Claire's point, not becoming anodyne? If you're touching on these subjects, that it, it exists within your current brand DNA, it's not suddenly left field. I think we've had a couple of uh, recent examples where there's been various movements and you suddenly see a brand putting up a black square on Instagram and you're like, why are you doing that? Um, and so it, it's really, it's got to be relatable. Um, I also think it's important to, whilst, you know, looking at this and, you know, the elements around kind of your CSR and wanting to promote that, 
being also aware what you're promoting versus what everyone is also going or um, experiencing at that moment. I think there's been some examples recently uh, where people are trying to have initiatives which are really proactive but are not maybe quite within the spirit of what everyone is feeling quite now. So it doesn't quite land maybe as effectively as it could do. There's a there's a social. I, I can't. But I, I made a point about social earlier on. I think didn't I? But there's a social as a channel has I think proven to be a, a good way of expressing a brand's authenticity and, and different brands do it in different ways. I mean, you know, I'm sure we're all. Well, <laughs> I can't speak for everyone. I, I know a lot of people who are fans of the likes of Aldi's uh, Twitter, for example, and and you know the tone that they take, and and yeah, other brands like KFC and. I think that that as a medium allows you to have fun with a brand that is known and loved by a lot of people in different ways that aren't, or they don't always necessarily have to be an advertising way. Mm. You know, we can reach people with authentic messages and that are very creative and don't have to be dreamt up by a, you know, so-called creative to reach people in an authentic way that they engage and relate to and, and have fun with and just bring a little bit of lightness to people's worlds in times like these as well. Absolutely. As you've said, it does feel like brands that are able to find, you know, that genuinely authentic story that comes from the right place um, may well ride out this madness slightly better than others or certainly, you know, come out the other side in a, in a stronger position or stronger, uh, you know, more healthy perceptions at least, I think. As, as we've all said, really, it's about finding the right story. It's a tightrope, really, about telling something that's a bit more worthy, as you might term it, um, that it doesn't look like a reaction or a bit of a token gesture. But I find it kind of interesting at the moment. You've got you know new brands, new up-and-coming, potentially boutique, but growing in some success uh, for uh, examples where their starting point is very, um, you know, uh, admirable or slightly more different uh, to the uh, you know your kind of classic traditional brands. So those are finding their place, and I'm sure there are thousands that don't have that success. But it's reassuring to see that some brands can grow even in that scenario. But I think it's um, it's also kind of easy to be cynical about those massive brands and their ability to do something that you know is a bit more meaningful. Yeah, um, I think it's difficult to do. Don't get me wrong, but you know, kind of. Uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt, if you like, or giving them a chance to, to drive change in their own ways um, because you do usually need the big players to drive the big lasting change sometimes. So it'll be interesting to see which of those that are kind of, of um, taking tentative steps into slightly more sustainable stories or whatever it might be, uh, whether they can keep that going and, and make that feel genuine um, to their audience. Yeah, th- th- to that very point, uh, something that, that's been on my mind recently, and I've had a number of discussions with people about as well, is, is the rise of the B Corp. And I guess I'd want to see people being careful and right with that. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not, but my slightly wary side of that would would be related to whether people stand on that platform and use it as as some kind of um, foundation to advertise on. I don't I don't see it being particularly prevalent right now, but I know I, I do see a, a trend of brands becoming B Corps and that community growing, and I think it's a good thing. But I also think it's something that has to be 
treated and dealt with and communicated very carefully. That's all I really have to say on that subject. But, no, but I think as, as a trend, I, I think it is one. So we're moving on now to the final question, because I do want to keep in as much as I possibly can of this. And Samantha, I wondered, could we go first? Based on everything that we've said so far, what do you hope are some changes that might come down the pipe to the marketing industry as a result of having to adjust plans and speak more authentically in the face of a crisis? So I think probably what we'll, what we'll likely see is a, a bit of an acceleration of more emerging trends. Again, quite similar to what we saw in COVID. It's, it's these uh, more high, high pressure, unusual times that often drive innovation, isn't it? So I think one interesting thing that might come out of this, which might really accelerate um, very much the kind of first party data uh, at least conversation is we touched on before um, very much around uh, consumer loyalty and actually the kind of more switching to keeping a consumer and driving that loyalty to maybe book very heavy acquisition. And obviously that's going to be really centered around first party data. And obviously we know what's coming next year. Um, I also think that um, we're probably going to see a lot more um, brands and businesses previously who have been very, very heavy on the performance marketing side and that there might have been at some of the detriments to the brand. I think that is going to really balance itself out in particular with businesses really defining who they are as a brand. And I think that comes back to our conversation around uh, their kind of CSR, what's important to them. Do they want to be leaning into that or not? I think it's going to ask those questions of those businesses and just really get them to think about it and nail, about, nail it, whereas before they might have not really been considering it. Um, so that's what I think um, is probably going to be at least the, the short-term future. Nice. And Claire, what would be some of your hopes for that that evolving conversation that we're having? Yeah, I'm glad you phrased it that way because I was definitely just going to give you things I hope will happen rather than things I have too much kind of evidence that they will happen. But I, I mentioned already, I, I, I hope there'll be you know, greater scrutiny on budgets, greater scrutiny on effectiveness, greater emphasis on incrementality, all that kind of thing. As Sam said, some um, tough times often drive innovation, but that is partly through survival of the fittest as well. So maybe some of the slightly less proven or sort of more gimmicky indulgences that we might see, some people messing around in the metaverse, for example, might might be put on hold, I, I hope, or at least talking about it endlessly. Um, and I also hope on my little list for Santa for next year, um, and we touched on this already as well, an even greater recognition of the the business value of creativity. You know, we know that great creative can multiply your budgets by up to 11 times, according to Burnett and Field. So this is not some sort of fluffy indulgence. This is a really critical way to make your money go further, which in tough times, like, if we can prove that value, then that would be a wonderful outcome. Certainly. And it's really interesting you said that about the metaverse. We just recorded a predictions um, panel yesterday where exactly that, taking a step back, doing appropriately sized experiments. Yeah, we're hopeful that that will deliver some tangible rewards away from all the hype. Um, And so, Paul, what would you say then is something you're looking forward to, I suppose, for the marketing industry to learn from everything that we've had to adjust to over the past? Well, I was going to say, yeah, but in reality, it's been about half a decade of crisis at this point. Sure feels like it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, it's a it's not a great starting point, is it? But um, I think it's it's a genuine opportunity. You know, some good can come out of that if if only it challenges 
us to think very differently about what we do or perhaps what else we can do on the you know brands and I guess us in, in the industry sense. I think you know there's some perceptions of advertising and marketing, um, but there's also some amazing things that it can do for brands and for communities, etc. So I, hopefully we'll start to see slightly less. Um, one-off worthy campaigns and it'd be a bit more of a kind of ethos um, that brands genuinely kind of live and find that kind of meaningful role um, and don't just revert to type as it were as soon as we're kind of through the worst of this um, mm. this recession or whatever is it a recession it feels like it, is a right, yeah, it seems to change um, on a daily basis so yeah I, I'm kind of excited you know I, I like the challenge of solving some of these new problems but I think it's you know it's good to keep us on our toes and to question whether there are things that have been in place that can't evolve you know sometimes you need that healthy pressure to, to make that real change so yeah, kind of exciting in its own perverse way <laughs> that's a fantastic in fact i'm going to use that as the uh, as the title for the podcast exciting in a perverse way but matt you've got the uh, you've got the final word on this what are you sort of looking to the marketing industry to learn to adjust Ooh, there's a lot uh, a couple of things and we've talked about them already so a greater emphasis on building trust and reliability, which you might sort of boil down to customer service. And there's an argument that digital transformation has a, a, a essentially means customer service, but there's a, there's a lot of brands out there that, that don't serve customers well. And I think they're going to be found out. People will gravitate to the ones that do give them a good experience throughout their uh, journey with that brand. And then, uh, as other people have touched on as well, I think there's going to be a gravitation towards brands that aren't just paying lip service to doing the right thing, but are actually doing the right thing and and, and can be seen to demonstrably be doing the right thing. You know, we can see, we, we, will, we will see the, the evidence of that um, through being part of their world which will have a network effect or a, a, an awareness effect a halo effect if you like of of then um moving that awareness out to other people as well doing the right thing essentially um and and that's meaning that we are seeing that brand do the right thing what i mean by that is that we're not standing on a, a, a campaigning platform of doing the right thing we mean what we say and we do what we say well, as you might have seen there from our guests for the next recording, unexpectedly joining, we are unfortunately out of time for that. Um, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. If the listeners want to get in contact with you, bend your ear about anything you've mentioned, where's the best place for them to find you, Claire? Um, I spend far too much time on Twitter, so you will <laughs> find me on Twitter at Claire Strickett. Very nice. And Paul? Um, yep, I think uh, LinkedIn, although I'm a sporadic user, um, is a good way to find me personally, uh, or of course the APS website if you want a bit of an intro to what we do. Very nice. And Samantha? Uh, over on LinkedIn, so Samantha Hearn or uh, Digital Ethos website. Very nice. And Matt, take us home. Uh, LinkedIn is probably easiest. I'm, I'm Matt Garbutt. There aren't many of me about. <laughs> so that's probably easiest. I'm also on the Brave Bison website. 
Very nice. And you can check the show notes, listeners, for all the information, all the job titles of all our guests today. But thank you so much, Claire, Paul, Samantha, and Matt. Delighted to have you on this podcast to talk about what could have been quite a heavy subject, but absolutely fantastic to hear your insight and your optimism as well. So listeners, please do stick around. Go to thedrum.com where we write about all aspects of media and marketing every single day of the week. But for now, thank you so much and goodbye. Goodbye.